Hello and you're welcome to the Backdoor Football Show. Um, delighted to be joined by Westmead footballer Ray Canellan and regular contributor John McMahon. Um, I suppose, looking back at the weekend, Ray, um, how do you assess the performance against Dublin? I think, from our point of view, um, it was reasonably positive. Um, Dublin are obviously still um, a little bit ahead of us um, in terms of where they are as a side. Um, the same way they are with probably everyone else in the country at the minute, they are still um, quite a bit ahead. But for us, I suppose you look at the the trimmings Dublin have been able to give teams in Leinster and also give ourselves over the last few years. And um, I think the way we performed overall was, was quite positive. Um, I think we touched on it after the game and Jack Cooney touched on it after the game that we didn't really look like we were ever going to give up a, a decent goal chance. You know, we kept things reasonably tight. Um, Probably a couple of things that we, we would be a little bit disappointed in in terms of maybe winning our own kickouts and stuff that we didn't give ourselves enough of a chance. But um, I think overall you you take you take a lot of positives from it as, as best you can. So yeah, we'd be we would be looking at kind of the the good that came from it. And how tough was it, I suppose, when they put on the squeeze in Jason Daly and you weren't getting a return from the kickouts? Um Ah, yeah, it is. It is quite tough. They've they're they're extremely they're extremely good at how they set up in terms of um, in terms of squeezing the opposition goalkeeper, and not only that, they're so strong around their middle third that they once the ball if it's not one clean in the air once it gets to the ground, um, their structure is very good that it gives them a good springboard to attack from. Um, they have terrific balance in terms of numbers around the breaking ball. It's not just kind of like you often hear people say like the breaking ball is kind of who wants it more and stuff, but that's quite an old school approach. Like there's there's method to, to going in and, and positioning yourself so that you're giving yourself the best opportunity to win it. And they're extremely good in that area. Um, and if you if you're to look back, if you were to say have a replay of the game and if you pause the kickouts just as the ball is coming down to the floor, um, you look at the way Dublin's set up and they've always got a nice umbrella around the um, around the breaking ball, which it just gives them a great platform to go forward from and, and it makes it very difficult to, to win your, your own kick out and and oftentimes you can be you can be quite a long time stuck in your own half. And I suppose like when you're playing Dublin, is the hardest thing like knowing what way to set up because if you go to attacking they're gonna open you up and as you said you didn't concede any goals, so you really have to play with numbers back. Yeah, um, I think I think that's similar to with every team. I think Dublin, though, you're just a little bit more conscious of the number of threats they have. Um, they can score from anywhere in the field. Um, I know um, they were popping up with cornerbacks, getting a couple of points. Own Merchant scored a couple of points. Um, a couple of their other defenders kind of just come through at, at kind of random times and, and, and are always good at kicking scores. So. Um, most teams these days do set up a kind of 13 to 14 men behind the ball at least and no one is any different when they play Dublin um, but it's just I suppose the numbers that Dublin can hurt you with um, they're not just limited to two or three forwards they've got they've got 15 guys that can come up and, and kick a score like. And was it tough for you like when the GA announces the knockout championship and you're coming up against the five in a row all Ireland champions was that tough for you that there was no qualifiers? Ah, yeah, it is. I mean, you'd be you'd be quite naive to say that you were going into that Dublin game expecting to win, you know. 
Um, for us, you're expecting to try and get a good performance, and that's kind of what we were aiming for. The result then, as, as I've said to other people before, the result comes secondary. But um, yeah, it is it is a little bit disheartening when you when you see the the team's been drawn and and you get Dublin, but every other team in Leinster is the exact same. Um, like you know, if you're awfully Clare, Leash, whoever. If you're looking at the draw come out at the start of the year and you see that you get Dublin, normally you're like, okay, grand, there's the qualifiers. But this year it was more of a case of, right, lads, let's just go out and give a give a good count of ourselves. And, and I think we did. I, I don't think we we never gave up. Like we created some goal chances towards the end, which kind of showed that um, that we were we were hungry to just to stay in the game and and not let them just put up a, a cricket score, which I think um, I think we were we were reasonably successful at. And do you feel a gap? Is getting any draws in Leinster, or is it just getting wider? Do you think? Um, maybe results might show that it's getting a little bit closer. Um, but that, yeah, that might have something to do with the turnover in players in Dublin at the minute. Um, they're blooding in quite a few new younger guys, new uh, midfielder come in. Um, they've got the likes, even like your Paddy Smalls and these guys are relatively new on the scene. Um, they're still excellent players, but they're just probably still finding their feet in the Dublin team a little bit and challenging for places. So um, Dublin could have started a much stronger team against us. When you look back, you've got Brian Howard coming off the bench, the Burns coming off the bench, um, Phil McMahon didn't come on, Paul Mannion wasn't playing. So, I mean, I think the gap is still pretty large um, and I don't really see anyone closing it any time soon. Do you want to quit there for a few minutes, John? Yeah, so really, I suppose when when you can look at it, like, do you think when you're playing Dublin, Dublin, like, I suppose this time of year, like, teams are saying, oh yeah, should we might get a crack them? Like, going into that game, where you're like, God, lads, you know, we might actually have a bit of a chance here because, you know, you wouldn't know what kind of Dublin performance might turn out. Yeah, I suppose this year just had so many unknowns. Uh, there's probably more variables this year than any other year, um, given the lack of games, the lack of training, and kind of how thrown together teams may have been. Um, there is probably that kind of seed of hope in your mind thinking, geez, lads, we could we could catch them on the hop here. Like it, it's winter football as well. Like, I mean, anytime I played Dublin bar in my first year in 2014, it's always been summer football in Crow Park and they're just running along the top of the ground with acres of space. And it, like that's, that's a different animal to play against. So there was definitely um, kind of, you know, chat going around like, Port Leash on a wet kind of winter's evening, could that slow them down a bit? Could it be a bit of a leveller? Um, but I think with Dublin, their their skills are so good um, and their setup is so good that no matter what the kind of variables are, um, they've built a consistency in their performance that other teams still don't really have yet. So you're always, as a, as a footballer, you're never saying that you're not going to win, but you're always realistic too that we would have looked at that game and been like, let's just get a good performance and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, and I suppose like when you look at it, like I know obviously like, you know, the new season isn't really far away now, like 2021 already. And, you know, you, you can focus on that again. Like, were you disheartened? Okay, maybe after Saturday, but were you on the flip side of it? Maybe, okay, look at lads, you know, we have a month off and then we go at it again. Or what was the mentality after the game? No, I don't think I was disheartened I don't think any of the boys would have been disheartened um like I think we had a lot of good individual performances the other night which lads would have been proud of um we would have used it as an opportunity to step up against the probably the best player in the country opposite you um in their position so like 
lads, a lot of lads that take kind of pride in themselves that they would have shown that they're able to mix it with the best of the best. Um, and it's not an opportunity that Westmead players get to do very often is show themselves on on the main stage where kind of everyone's watching. So for, for lads to be able to kind of grasp that with two hands was was good to see. Um, in terms of the new season, I think lads are just looking forward to getting back into it because um, leaving the Dublin game aside, we would have had a positive league campaign um, with a couple of couple of our results that we left behind us, which is um, which is disappointing in one sense, but quite kind of encouraging in another because you know that you can go out and be aiming to win those games next year, for example. So, like, I think I think there's a sense of enthusiasm around Westmeath, um, in particular, just among the players because we're coming into maybe the third or fourth year with Jack Cooney where. Things are really building now to a place where we're getting a little bit more consistent. We've got a much clearer idea of, of what what our attack looks like, our, our defence looks like. So I think all, are, all in all, it's actually quite a positive um, position to be in now in Westmead. And I think you probably hopefully see us been more consistent at a higher level. So kind of competing for either promotion or just a, a very competitive Division 2 campaign next year. Yeah, and I find it interesting, Ray, that you mentioned like Jack Cooney, he's there three years. Like, and like I see situations where, oh, yeah, sure, maybe like you get rid of the manager after two years or get knocked out of the championship. Like, how important is stability within football, Ray? Because, like, I find managers can't really build much after two, two years anyway. Like, you know, what's the point of getting rid of them? So, you know, how important is Jack Cooney for another two or three years for that Westmead squad? I think it's vital. I think he's brought in um, some ideas and he's brought in a passion and energy. Like Jack, Jack is a very, very proud Westmead man. Um, you know, he's he's been around a Westmead setup longer than anyone there now at the minute. He was involved with Pawdy. He played himself. He went off, kind of, I suppose, did his almost his apprenticeship under Jim Gavin with Donegal and kind of learned from the best there. And he's come back with a level of coaching that I haven't seen in Westmead before. Um, Westmead have, have, like a lot of lesser counties, have been on the mar- the manager merry merry go round where they it's the same kind of people managing the lower counties all the time. Just they do their two years, they get their few bob and they clear off. And we kind of we had a few good managers like the likes of Tom Cribben um, came in, and Tom was very passionate and would have given anything for success for Westmead. But at the same time, I don't think he was as tactically astute as Jack is. And I think Jack has brought in a mindset of. Um, Trying to make, I suppose, the Westmead people proud, and he's 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 very much he's very accommodating in in allowing lads to to express themselves, but within a game plan and a structure. And um, I would say I would say there's more there's more structure involved in the Westmead setup over the last couple of years. Well, this year now for me is obviously my first one back, but um, from what I've seen, it's just been it's been very impressive. Um, and I think Jack is Jack and well, the whole backroom team. Are, are are pivotal in that and another another couple of years I think you'll just see this Westmead side hopefully um grow from strength to strength. Ray you mentioned um there your first year back and it's often talked about so much when players come back from AFL it can be very hard to adjust to playing Gaelic football. Did you find that at the start? Yeah certainly with my skills I just found they were like quite rusty um especially hand to foot so kicking. Um, I found my from from Australian rules, um, you, you hand pass the ball so much in training, and it's it's so skill based. Like even even when you're not on the field, you're inside in a gym against a, a rebound net, so the ball bounces off it, and you're doing hand pass drill after hand pass drill. So I found like my my hand passing abilities had kind of gotten up, but my kicking then it obviously 
um, had, had deteriorated quite a bit. So for me, I spent three or four months in, in Boston playing in the North, in the Boston Championship with Donegal Boston. And that was kind of like a little buffer, I suppose, back into Gaelic football, uh, which was which was it was needed to really. And then from there, I came back to UCD and Sigerson was kind of like a, a happy kind of medium between kind of club and county where the skill was kind of skill level had to be kind of improved again. Um, so it was kind of like I had little steps before coming back into the county side. Um, and then once I once I got back in Westmead, I felt like I was kind of finding my feet again. And you mentioned Dave Lane with Donegal Boston winning the championship, obviously, and just an unbelievable team he had over there. But like, what was the experience like over there playing club football in America? So it was genuinely one of the most enjoyable footballing experiences, including Australia, including including club county here. That summer in Boston was one of the best footballing years or well seasons that I've ever had. Um, I got a very good friend of mine, um, Nicky Kelly, who lives over there, and uh, he's been there for a number of years. He's got an American passport, so to go over there, I haven't really been seeing him an awful lot, and go over there, spend a summer with him, and I suppose meet all the people that he would have been telling me about um, on a regular basis. It was lovely to have that kind of connection. But then the Donegal, Donegal people are just so passionate about. Like you never see someone from Donegal not absolutely love Donegal, and they're just so passionate about everything they did. They're, these boys are working, working like dogs over there, um, labouring on sites and then going training in the evening. And they're all very good footballers. And then I suppose the group that we brought over then, um, Mark Bradley from Tyrone, Barry John Keane, Kieran Martha. Um, I'm sorry forgetting lads now, but there was just like a very talented kind of group and I suppose the way we won the final then with kind of last minute goal, Barry John Keane buried one, like it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was the perfect storm the way it all came together, but uh, no, it was the Boston, summer in Boston was absolutely brilliant. And I presume like over there you mentioned the last minute goal, like the football over there at club level in Boston, it's obviously at such a high level. Yeah, it is, it is, you know, it, it nearly caught me by surprise a little bit. Um, you know, I, I I might have been a bit naive to the standard over there, but you know we we played we played some very strong strong teams. Like our final was one of the it's a serious game of football, and, and the fact that it's thirteen on thirteen as well, there's more space, it's a bit more open. So you know if you're if there's a quick forward there, like he's gonna just just the potential for someone to get a skin in. Like so, it's um it is it is very good, and the standard the standard is really high. And sure, anyone who's been out there can can tell you that. Uh, I suppose just back. So like Westmead, just some unbelievable footballers, James Dolan, yourself, John Heslin, Kieran Maiden. Is the aim now trying to reach Division One and trying to blood as much young lads as you can into this team? Yeah, um I I, I think Division One isn't necessarily an aim. It might be a result of an aim. And I think the aim for us is consistency. Um I think Westmead just need to get themselves in a position where they're performing consistently at a high level. Um, I think for too many years we've we've been a yo-yo team where we've gone up the divisions and then fallen straight back down to the bottom. Um, the, the four years before I joined the panel, Westmead worked up to Division 1 and then I joined the panel in 2014 and in four years we were back to Division 4, you know. So that's that's what we need to stop happening in Westmead. And I think I think 
with the likes of Jack and, and the backroom team that he has coming in, he's given us a sense of kind of consistency. And and w- once you get consistency, you get confidence in your performance. And when you start getting into close games, four or five years ago, we would have lost them. But because there's that belief in our system and a belief in that kind of we have the ability, uh, I think I think that consistency will come and we'll be, we'll be able to kind of be a competitive team. And I, I think... I think we're not quite Division One standard just yet. I think we're a, a decent Division Two team, and we need to we need to hold that kind of status now for a year, and then young lads can be blood into that, and then slowly we can we can start to see if we're if we're pushing towards a Division a Division One side. But we're not we're not very we're not very far away. It's it's it, it feels like it's it's coming together quite well. And the double leg break you got in the Leinster final. Would you say during your career that's the biggest setback you've got? Uh, no, actually, I, I don't think so. Um, it's probably the worst. It's probably the worst injury I've ever got. Um, in terms of like, it's quite a dramatic injury to get. But in terms of recovery and my mentality after it, like I, I knew I was still going to Australia. I knew it was going to be fine after I got surgery. Um, so that was that was fine, you know. The, the rehab wasn't really too bad. Um, it, it was the, it was the most painful injury I've ever had, absolutely. But I'd say the worst one I got was while I was in Australia, just when I went back out to try and get a contract with Essendon. Um, you know, I was I was building some really good form. Maybe played four or five games and kind of starting to play really well. I was playing in a new position that really suited me, and I was loving it. And then about six weeks out from the um, from the draft, which kind of what would have been what I was aiming for. Um, I tore my hamstring um, quite badly and I ended up ended up missing the next eight weeks of, of football. And that was kind of like the nail in the coffin of the Australia side of things for me. And I knew then once that happened, I was coming home. So that's probably the worst injury I've had just purely because of how much was at stake, um, the timing. And it was it was actually, it was a reasonably, reasonably bad hammy tear as well. So um, yeah, if, I think taking everything into account, that was probably a bit worse. You want to come in there, Ian John? So, how did you find Division Two this year? I suppose, obviously, before COVID, like, you you got on rightly in Division Two, Ray. Like, I know maybe you said last weekend, anything could could have happened. Anyone could have went down. Anyone could have went up. Like, was Division Two competitive for you this year? What did you make of it? Ah, uh, yeah, it was. Division Two was it was actually very enjoyable this year. Um, I don't know if it was because it's my first one back, and I just kind of had that grow for football again it was just mad to play but um no it was it was very competitive i think when you look at the games the standard of games and the score in, in the games uh you can see that division two is probably the most stacked division um in terms of competitiveness um for us as i said earlier we probably left a couple of results behind us like the armagh game um we should have won that the cabin game we definitely look at that as if we threw it away and um yeah like i think the Kildare game was a bit of a, a bit of a nothing performance by us, um, which was a bit disappointing when you know we we were kind of building towards championship. But but other than that, we, I think we were we were very competitive. You know, we we, we played we played quite well um, throughout the year, and you know, I think I think it was I think it was competitive, and I think the lads would have would have really enjoyed um, the standard this year. Yeah, and to be honest, like, I think like. I, I, I do see a bit of a gap between Division 1 and Division 2, like I know Paul re- was referencing there going up to Division 1, but like, you know, it, it, it is seriously competitive in Division 1, like obviously, like myself, Cavan here, like we, we've gone up and down, like 
would it be a big, big step up to go up to Division One? Do you feel like, or like, I would just be happy just to maintain Division Two status next year. I think at the minute it might just be a little bit of a bridge too far in terms of what we what we would benefit out of. I think I think I want to play Division One because I want to be playing against the best players and against the best teams in the country. But I don't want to be playing Division One and having results like Avalanche scores against you and. I think there is a, still a potential for that for us against the top teams. Like we, I know we, we held Dublin to eleven. Like it's not exactly a hammering, like, but it's still a reasonable gap. So, I think I think we're just still a little bit off. Um, been really competitive towards Division Division One. I think I think a year in Division Two now, um, this year. And if we really get some consistent and solid performances, and we went up at the end of our next league campaign, um, I think we'd be in a better position. I think I think this year that we didn't go up probably isn't the worst thing in the world. Um. We'll get another year at a level where we can improve and I think as younger guys kind of in the squad are more used to the standard, I think it'll benefit us in the long run going into Division 1 next year, well hopefully or the year after. Definitely. And I suppose when you when you look at it as well, Ray, like like you 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 were in Australia for them a couple of years, playing the ball over there, and you came back was it this year. So like, did much change in the last couple of years? Like like you know the quality of football or was like the competition for places within the West Me team when you came back was it tough to get back into it? Yeah, I suppose there's always there's always competition. Um, I think I was just I came back in, I kind of hit the ground running, and I was. Lucky enough to get my my spot back um, straight away, which was a bit of a relief. I was just happy to get back into it. Um, the standard has definitely gone up all around. Um, the level of athlete has gone up. Um, like physically speaking, lads are fitter and stronger than they were before. Um, but yeah, no, certainly certainly I can only speak for my for my own county, and uh, I think the the standard has has certainly gone up, and there seems to be kind of a new lease of life in guys. Um, that are pushing pushing lads on and younger guys that are pushing a few of the older heads on and I think that's um I think that's definitely quite evident to Westmead and, and, and the competition for places is 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 definitely is definitely quite um it's quite competitive there in, in, in our in our squad. Yeah and I suppose your AFL journey um Luke Tally was on the podcast a good while ago but the process of actually making it onto the AFL team mm. how I suppose, how tough is it experience that? In terms of when you get in a game? Yeah. Um, it's very difficult. I didn't manage to do it and I, I worked my ass off at it. It was, um, it is, it is very, it is very difficult. I mean, you need, you need to re- remember that you're going over to uh, play, you're going over to play a sport that you've never played before against the people in, who are best at it in the whole world, you know? So, you need to give yourself some context that you know it's obviously not going to be easy. But once you get there, um, your first few months, you're you know you you're like a deer in headlights sometimes, not really knowing what to do, where to be, and, and like when you're in drills and stuff at training, and you feel like oh what am I doing here? But then all of a sudden things start to click and you start to understand it. And after hours and hours and hours of of practicing and and kind of doing more hours than everyone else at the club eventually it all starts to kind of come together a bit and you, you start to play a few games and get a bit of form but but to actually break onto the AFL field is is something that's extremely difficult and I think I, I don't I don't know maybe it might be appreciated but I don't know if it's appreciated enough here when lads actually do make it onto the field because um 
it's it's so competitive and so difficult for a guy to go over there and never play the sport and then all of a sudden push a kid out of a side who's who's been there his whole life playing this game and it's always been his dream to play this game so for 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 you to come over and, and take their spot and and make your way onto the, the the big stage um it really is it really is extremely difficult and like you know I, I i would consider it a bit of a kind of disappointment that i never um that i never actually got to play afl football and um never got my uh, my first game but at the same time i'd be still you know quite happy in in how i how i perform myself the, the majority of the time i was there and and I think for young lads like like Luke and that going over still yet to kind of play a game, keep work keep working as hard as you can. Just like you know, if there's if there's a coach offering to do like extra hours, or even if he's not, go up and tap a coach on the shoulder, like come in here, help me. I need to like I need more hours than every single person here. Um, but yeah, no, it is. It's it's extremely it's extremely difficult to 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 break into a side. And when you went over, you had uh, former Kilkenny earlier, Dara Joyce at the same club as you. Just was that much easier having someone from Ireland at the same club? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, Dara, the, the only the only issue with our first year was Dara lived miles from me. Um, like you know, it, it was close to an hour away and early. Like, like Melbourne's a big place, um, so we didn't actually get to hang around outside the club that much because you know you're like you're wrecked after training. You go home and then like, am I going to hop in the car for an hour now this evening? And like, it just neither of us ever really did. Like, so the first year like you'd meet each other at the club and that was kind of where we socialized but then as we got into it like i suppose well into our first year um um i think dara moved out of that house and then we were able to kind of hang around with each other more and it was just it was way better then like all of a sudden like you've got a best mate there that you you're hanging around with every single day like and i suppose with then the rest of the boys that were over there at the time like we were just we were in each other's pockets um constantly, like so it was it was definitely lovely to have a few Kind of home voices there beside you that you could just switch off from footy and if you wanted to have a, a bitch and moan about something back home like you know you, you could like and you could you could give out about like some aussie lad over there is annoying you and you don't feel bad about it like you know so i was it was it was great like just and the, the boys are all so supportive of everyone as well like it's a real it's a really really tight-knit group um with all the irish boys there regardless of kind of where they are in australia it's a kind of brotherhood between between all the boys over there. And like when you see Westmead playing and you see Adlon playing and you obviously didn't get your cap, was that very tough to look at from Australia? Um oh it was it was at times. Um there was, there was a few weeks in my second year where I wasn't playing particularly well and I knew I was going to be under pressure then for the rest of the year to to earn a, a contract and I think when I was looking then at Athlone back home, well, Athlone actually were going poorly at the time, so I don't know if I envied that too much, but Westmead boys were flying, and it was, it was certainly kind of, there was thoughts like, why am I here kind of thing, you know, I'm not really enjoying this at the minute, like, I'm not playing well, I'm miles from home, like, I want to meet my friends, and I can't, so yeah, there is that side of it, and that's naturally going to creep into your mind, but at the same time, you need to then, you, you, you compose yourself again, you're like, look, you're you're here for a reason, like, you, you're here to perform, and like, to earn a living out of playing sports which you've always wanted to do so um eventually then you, you put those thoughts out of your head kind of almost as quickly as they come in um some guys would struggle more with it but i think i think i was okay in terms of homesickness it um it never it never got to me to me massively which was which is really good and what would be like the daily routine over there when you're playing afl 
Yeah, so it's kind of the best way to describe it is it's it's two it's kind of like two seasons in one. Um, so you've got your preseason, which starts in November, end of October for first years, but then for for everyone it's probably November, and it runs the whole way from November to March, and that's when preseason games start. Um, well, Fe- February or March, and then preseason in particular is just. Uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done without any exaggeration. It's it's the most torturous training you can imagine. Um, you get up on a on a Monday morning, probably about half five, six. You have to be in the club for, you know, maybe depending on what you have to do, I'd go in for weights in the morning at uh, seven or half seven, then have breakfast in the club. Um, you'd have about 20 minutes for like a recovery. So that might be an ice bath. Uh, you'd have a meeting then around nine that would go through what you're going to do in training. So if it's going to be an attacking session, uh, defensive session, um, and then they'll show you the conditioning which you're going to do at the end of training, which was always horrible to look at. And you'd finish the meeting and you'd go out, get ready for training, get all strapped up, meet the physios, get warmed up, get prepped, and then out onto the field for maybe 11 and be out there for maybe pre-season you could be out there for two two and a half hours and um as i said the, the drills depend on what you're aiming for in that session but you always finish up with conditioning and then you go in and you finish off you top off your conditioning with like a a bike session or a swim and then you'd have lunch and then you'd have weights and a meeting and go home and you're home at maybe five in the afternoon so it's it's five you're up at five, home at five kind of thing nearly. Um, and that's the pre-season. And you might get two days off in a week, two and a half days off in a week. But then in-season is completely different. In-season is a dream. Um, you go out, you game on a Saturday. You've got Sunday off. You've got recovery on Monday, which is just, you get like a massage. You get uh, your ice baths and a swim, like a nice and easy swim, not a, a fitness swim. Like, um, and then you come back in Tuesday and you'll start to do some skills, some light running out in the track. Um, Wednesday might be your day off. Thursday then will be a very intense session building you up for the game and you'll work on everything in the game. Um, and in between all this now, there's meetings and reviews of games and stuff. So there's meetings. There's a meeting nearly twice a day, three times a day, every day. Um, and then you just get ready for the game. You'll have a captain's run on a Friday, play on a Saturday again. So. Um, in season, in season now is a dream. You just coast from one week to the next week, and it just it flies past, which is, which is tough. If you're if you're not playing well, it, it can slip away from you very very quickly, and that's that's one thing. If there's anyone, I don't I don't know, like if anyone's listening to this that's currently out there as and hasn't played yet or is about to go out there, you, you need to be switched on every single week because the weeks will tick by like that, and all of a sudden you're in a position where you've got six weeks left, and you're in my boat where you're playing for a contract every single game, and I played quite well under that pressure, but at the same time, that pressure eats away at you an awful lot. So um, now in, in season, in season's great, but pre-season, oh Jesus, I, it was enjoyable in kind of some sick way, but like, tough, like, you know. And like, do you, do so many people go to these AFL drafts and some of the up and coming talent across the country, would you encourage most young lads if they get an opportunity to go across and give AFL a try? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing really to lose. 
um, in terms of going over. I think it'll only benefit you as an athlete and as a person. Um, the, just just be quite aware of, I suppose, what you're what you're doing at, at the minute. Now I'm I'm kind of working on a bit of a kind of personal project and helping guys who are who are going over, um, and people who are already over there in terms of prepping them that when they get there that everything is set up and so that young lads are aware of what they want to do outside of football. Because for me, I left college to go over. And when I came home, uh, you're a few months in a strange kind of limbo where you're not really sure what to do. And th that's that's actually, I've spoken and I've interviewed and surveyed quite a lot of their former players over there. And it's, it's the same thing all the time that, you know, they've, there are days that were structured every single day for a couple of years. Like you, you know what to do, you know what to you know where to be every single day then all of a sudden you come home and what why what's your reason for getting up on a monday morning like what what are you going to do with yourself so i think that's one thing that you need to be aware of if you are going to go over just have an idea in the back of your head of what you want to do and keep those plans ticking over in the background so for example if you wanted to, to um and someone offered you an afl contract tomorrow take the contract but keep in touch with the universities back home uh, see if there's any online courses you can be doing while you're away and I think that's just one thing. Just always be, if you are going to go, just have have a have a, a backup plan and um, have have things set up at home. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting involved with now. Is just being that person that just helps um, with any youngsters who are going over, so that when they come home, that they their transition to and from the game are as easy as possible. Because it's not an easy thing to go, and it's not an easy thing to come home. So. Yeah, I definitely say do it, but just be aware of, I suppose, some pitfalls that are that are around there also. And we've seen Mark Keane who scored the winner for Cork against Kerry, um, and then he's going back to Collingwood. Is that something that I suppose is positive that he gets to play with his county and then gets to go back over and play with AFL? Yeah, I think I think that's the dream, really. I think that's what every Irish kid wants to do. Um, some of us have been let do it others have done it and gotten in trouble for it and you know got the slap on the wrist but um i think it's i think it's a it's a i think it's a good way for afl clubs to look forward um particularly with the year that was in it this year where games were few and far between for second string guys um i know mark played but at the same time you have to um would, would you have really played enough to kind of benefit so like coming home and playing another game is probably no harm um keeps them sharp keeps the boys fresh um, in terms of kind of risk of injury and stuff like that, like, I mean, he, you could easily tear a hammy just going out for a run, you know? So I think clubs clubs should be kind of fair around that point of view too. But at the same time, they're your employer and your body is their biggest asset. So they can't really risk it either. So some clubs might, might kind of start toying with the idea of letting guys do it. Others, I would say, are just straight up no chance. But um, it'll be interesting to see if more guys start getting the opportunity to, to do it now. Now that Mark has kind of shown and I suppose gathered a, bit, a few headlines over there as well for for his um for his exploits on the weekend. Yeah, and Ty Kennedy, another man who has a huge role over there. How helpful is he when you go over to Australia? Yeah, so well, Ty, at the minute now he, he actually doesn't do anything at all with the guys who are going over. He's taken a pretty much a complete break away from that because he started to work full time with Sydney. Um, I think he could be Sydney's backline coach now at the minute, which is quite a big role. So Ty doesn't have much to do with the Irish guys coming and going now. Um, he's always he's always a phone call away, like you know he's never he's never completely uh, removed from it. Um, but yeah, for me he was he was good for me. I, he was the one who kind of set the whole thing um, 
in motion for me in terms of going up and getting drafted and stuff. And um, after after the combine in Dublin, he was the one who selected me to go to a training camp in America with the Australian under 18s. Um, so he definitely had a massive part in myself and Dara Joyce's and, and Killian McDade's um, journey across. Um, but at the minute now, Ty's actually taking quite a, a step away and he's, he's just, I suppose, focusing on his coaching career now. And I seen the Irish Independent last week, um, you mentioned about your troubles with anxiety. Where did that come from, um, Ray? Uh, it was probably just an issue that started when I was um, kind of 15 or 16 years of age. I had um, I've just three or four bereavements in a reasonably short period of time. And on top of other stresses then just in my life and, and diff different kind of events that unfolded. Um, it's just something that kind of crept in and, and and as I said in the interview, just I didn't really notice it at first and then all of a sudden it, it was kind of a, a, an all-consuming uh, issue for me. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was every day pretty much for, for three or four years of my life that, you know, you, you, I started to build somewhat of a resentment kind of for myself because I was so sick of kind of feeling like shit all the time and then I suppose over the years you, you learn how to, how to manage it. Um, and I just, I just like a number of things to, to, to learn how to manage it. Like I had to drop out of college and uh, kind of start seeing people and talking to psychologists and doctors and stuff and, and learning about techniques of dealing with it. So it was, um, for me, obviously it was something that was, that was treatable and curable. Um, but yeah, no, it was something that kind of just that snuck into my life at, at a young age. And, and luckily I was able to, to kind of grab a hold of it, um, I suppose, reasonably early. And like we see now that uh, mental health is such a big issue, but do you feel there's enough being done in the GA because mental health just seems to be a huge issue at the moment? Yeah, I think I think there's I think there's definitely more that the GA can do. Um, I know the GPA offer counselling and services, and there's another twenty four hour helplines. Um, I've called it. I've, I've called the helpline myself at one stage, um, and. I was kind of in the middle of a panic attack and I, I rang this number and then hung up the phone and didn't speak to someone. I was just like, kind of shit myself all, get away from me kind of thing. And so there, I, know, I know from experience that there is options there, but I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's mentioned enough and I don't think it's advertised enough and put out there for young guys, the level of health that is there. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing behind me speaking out was kind of, I suppose, realising without sounding like arrogant, but realizing that I've got somewhat of a profile with the GA now, just from being in Australia and stuff that like, there might be a young lad who, who looks up and, and thinks like, I like him as a footballer and he, he went through this and that's, that sounds really similar to what I went through. And I think everyone, if they're going through something, if, if they've got someone that they can look at, who's come through the far side, but it gives them a, a bit of hope and they might not feel kind of as alone. So, in that, in that sense, I think players and individuals in the GA can do do more and, and, and talk about it more. And, and I think I think individually players are quite good with it. And I think the GA can can start to, to I suppose really to really help because it's it, it's a massive problem, particularly in young men. Um, you know, there's there's all these stereotypes of young men that they need to behave and act a certain way. And you know, I think I think it's just it's gone to a stage now where like you know, guys need to kind of almost front up and realise that it's okay not to be okay and, and the GA has a massive part, massive part to play with that. Do you want to come back in there, John? 
Yeah, I suppose it, it's all very important, really. Like, I suppose, and I was listening to Conor McKenna because he recently came home from uh, Australia as well. So it's just, like, did you feel homesick when you're in Australia? Or, like, it, you know, did you have any kind of mental health maybe difficulties in Australia or was it all, it was all rosy for you or how were you fixed? Uh, no, I suppose I, I would have gotten over a lot of my own uh, mental health kind of issues before uh, leaving for Australia, which was great. Like by the time I went to Australia, I was a bit older, you see, I was 20, 20 or 21 when I left, which, you know, it's a better age to be going at, I feel. Um, you're more self-aware and you're more comfortable with who you are as a person at that age. Um, and I lived, I lived away from home. I was in college in Galway and stuff. So I, I actually kind of, I was probably just more, um, more adept at handling living away and living abroad and stuff. It wasn't as big an issue for me. Um, for the likes of Connor, Connor had been away for such a long time that I suppose homesickness is probably something that would have just impacted him a lot more. And then with the way he was treated in the media after the coronavirus um, shit show that was over there, like it was just. Like you'd have to feel sorry for the lad. Like he would have felt like the walls were closing in around him a bit. And at that period of his time in Australia, he was already kind of thinking, "Is it time to go home?" And I would imagine the fact that myself, Connor, and Kieran Byrne from Louth were quite close over there, and all of a sudden myself and Kieran were gone. Um, there's two, you know, two soundboards there, and two, I suppose, anchors to home have left him, and he's there. Would have felt a little bit more isolated, even though he has family there. Um, I'm sure he would have felt a little bit more isolated and then I suppose just yeah as, as circumstances went on with with football and stuff and, and being in a hub away from um, his his home in Melbourne you know he's up in a hotel like it's it's not ideal like it's, and yeah. for someone with homesickness living in a hotel like I mean whatever sense of home you have in your apartment in Melbourne like, like that's completely gone when you're up in a hotel up the Gold Coast so like mm. I think I think it was a as a it was it was a perfect storm of just all the, the all the wrong kind of issues for him to and it just all kind of led to him wanting to come home and um but for myself homesickness over there was never really something that bothered me um as i said earlier on in the podcast it, it came into my mind at times but then as quickly as it came i i dealt with it and, and it was gone so luckily luckily now i know i know it has affected some of them some of the boys over there like quite seriously and they do get quite Quite down about it, but um, now for me, I was quite grateful that it never um, it never impacted me as, as much. And would you be off the opinion, like say over in Australia, like people say, oh yeah, should have earned the big big bucks, steak dinners every night, having the crack, and all this kind of all this kind of stuff. But you, it's not steak. Yeah, dinner. that's what I'm saying. If you, if you know what a rookie contract is, it's not steak dinners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so like what I'm kind of saying is like it is it is it's there's a lot of hard work involved there's a lot of commitment needed and to make the break and be really successful over there there is actually a lot of hard work needed and to be put in front of you yeah absolutely um like i've one of my one of my um cousins would have been a professional soccer player for celtic for for a number of years and i've got like my best mate at home here robbie henshaw plays rugby for ireland and leinster so i've i've had people in my life playing professional sport and I've had that opinion of um I remember like Robbie would say to me about going to work and I was like would you go away like you're not going to work you're going to train like you're not going to work and then once I made the transition to professional sport you quickly realize on top of the, like it, it's so physically demanding that you're constantly exhausted and then you've also the mental side of it like you've got hours and hours of meeting you've if you're not doing a meeting, you're sitting in front of a laptop or a computer reviewing games, and it's it's just, it is very mentally demanding. You need to be 
it's such a performance based career that like you need to rock up every single day and be at 110% and if you're not you lose your job and I know other other careers you know you might be in like if you're a lawyer like a doctor for example it's that similar pressure of having to be on the ball every day mm. but yeah no it, it definitely it definitely um isn't kind of as as rosy as it's made out to be I mean in your downtime all you're doing is resting like you spend most of the time when you've got time off just with your feet on the up on the couch because mm. like your body needs you to recover and it needs you to just chill out for a while so it's certainly it's certainly a, a privileged lifestyle you get lots of time off it's a very enjoyable lifestyle it's it's not like sitting in front of a computer it's not like working you know mad hours every single day but it's also not to be taken lightly in terms of the level of commitment and the I suppose a level of concentration and, and effort that's required to go into it also um and then to, to really make it at the top um like the likes of like zach Tui, mark o'connor ty connor mckenna like these guys have like they, they've worked they've worked their asses off to get there and, and they need to be kind of recognized for that and, and appreciated for it well geez I'm, I'm definitely 50 50 about my trip to australia now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, tell me this, Ray. You're home. You're home a while now. So, what are you working at, or what, what are you doing now that you finished up in Australia? Yeah, well, I came back, um, and I went back into UCD. So, I'm currently studying a BA in English in UCD. So, I'm just at the desk here, tipping away at bits now before before I call you. So, um, no, it's 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 nice. It's it's kind of giving me something to do every day. I got classes and, and lectures every day. So, it's um it's certainly keeping me busy. Um, and it's 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 been it's been quite enjoyable kind of getting back into college and doing it at an, at an older age is a bit different too you know you just you just treat it like work so no that's that's kind of that's what I'm tipping away at now for for the next year. And the Sigerson um, last year like uh, obviously came up short against DCU but was it something you really enjoyed playing in the Sigerson? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I never um I've never really given Sigerson a crack. Um, when I was down in Galway, I um my year at Sigerson with NUIG, I would have been involved with the international rules side that year and I would have spent kind of most kind of from Wednesday to Friday, I spent up in Ashburn for the majority of the college, um, the Sigerson uh, kind of football time, um, the Sigerson season, sorry. So um, yeah, I never actually got to give Sigerson a real, a real crack and this year, like I was coming home and I was fully like, you know, just mad to play it and um it was it was really enjoyable i have to say the Sigerson competition is brilliant and i think i think the ga need to make sure that it gets the attention it deserves because it's it's that really it's that high standard it's still like that kind of underage standard of football where it's mad like attacking football for the majority of the time um so yeah no i i, I really enjoy it now i, I rated it and, and and it was great for me in terms of coming home and getting back into back into football yeah and you mentioned the respect that needs to get there i suppose What's often going to be talked about with the Sigerson which last few years of Kieran Malloy and Liam Silk having to play two games in two days. They kind of need to get a calendar for the Sigerson and just have that set instead of as juggling between two or three teams. Yeah, 100%. And I think it happened with um, with Kieran, And I think he was told, you know, like, oh, Jesus, look, that'll never happen again kind of thing. And then the, the following year it happened again. So, I mean, the GAs need to kind of realise, look, Sigerson is, is a huge deal for these young guys like uh, they need to stop looking at it from a kind of point of view of like it's just a college's competition like it's it's one of the one of the biggest kind of competitions at its at its age group and in in the country like so I mean I think it does need the respect I think they need to start working out the GA calendar so that 
clubs club seasons can get finished within the calendar year they start and that run over and over spill into the following year because it just leads to the kind of that storm that that Kieran and, and Liam were in uh, were faced with and look they're, they're not the first they won't be the last that are going to be in that position so I think they need to try and sort out the club football earlier in the year and then have your time for Sigerson. And if you're playing Sigerson, you don't have to be involved with your county team. And luckily with Jack Cooney, he was so understanding with me. He, he kind of knew that's what I needed. And he was like, look, play away. Like, never mind O'Byrne Cup and stuff. We'll sort that out here with Westmead. that will give a chance to get younger Westmead lads in. Um, play your Sigerson. We'll do that. And I think that's the best way um, from for the county teams as well to approach it. Like, just Sigerson time, Sigerson season, that's, that's the time for college's football. Then we move into intercounty football after, and and we work from there. And you mentioned international rules rules there a while ago. Is it something you think that the GA need to bring back in? Obviously, they can now with COVID, but like when we get some sort of normality, do you feel international rules is something that could really succeed? Yeah, I for me, it, like there's no there's no bigger honour than representing your country. And I think if it's the only chance you get in Gaelic football to represent your country, I think that it needs to be embraced. Um, I hear I hear arguments of oh, it's feeding into kids leaving to Australia and stuff, and like it's it's not like, I mean, who who on an international rules side is then gone to Australia after the guys on the international rules team are experienced, they're all stars, they're in their late twenties, early thirties, they've been around forever, like they're not going to just up and leave and go to Australia, like, um, like Colin McShane is probably the most recent one where he, this stage in his life showed that it's harder to go at like that kind of early 20s mid 20s like um i think i think i my age of 21 is literally kind of where you nearly cut that off like you you can't you, you've kind of you've gone gone through too much of your life in ireland and then leave and go across so i don't i don't buy that argument but i think the the international rules itself it's a chance for ireland to show the level of athlete that we have and the skill level we have i mean if you saw the hours that Australians put into their skills, and fair enough, they're playing with a different ball. I completely get that, but it's it's not that big a transition like for for them playing from an oval to a round ball. Um, like if you saw the hours they put into their skills and their physical um, fitness, if you look at where Irish guys are in comparison, we couldn't be any closer without being professional athletes. So. It's something. It's something I've certainly, I'd, I'd certainly embrace, and I'd love if it was back because I, I, I do anything to kind of have the chance to to represent Ireland at, at some level, um, particularly in, in a sport like in, like Gaelic football, where you know you, it's it is the international is, is the only chance you have. Do you have anything to add there, John? Yeah, last one for me. I suppose you you got a nice a nice few pound over in Australia, Ray. Would you agree with the uh, pay for play over in Ireland? Uh, yeah, um, I'm still playing, so I'd love to. Get for it. Um, yeah, I just think you need to find a, I suppose, a structure on how you can how you can work it because you've got two levels um, with club and county in Ireland, and you'd you'd have to figure out, I suppose, like, would it would it end up just turned into like are your counties going to end up just being club teams then, and you you play a season with your county like. A league season set, um, you know. So it's 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 such oh it's such a it's such a messy one to go into. Like there's so many different avenues you could go down in terms of how it would work. Um, in its in its simplest form, if if players could get paid to play Gaelic football, I think it would be it would be massive because if you go to Crow Park on All Ireland Final Day, 
there's 85,000 people at this game. They've all paid 80-odd euro for a ticket, sometimes more, sometimes less, whatever. Um, every official at that game is getting paid. Every pundit at that game is getting paid. I mean, if you're doing commentary for Sky Sports now, if you're doing commentary for RTE now, if you're on the Sunday game, you're getting paid. It's it's once you finish football, you seem to be getting paid. The managers, every manager in the country is getting paid. So if the GA ever argues about an amateur ethos, the amateur ethos is so long gone in the GA that it's not even an argument anymore. Like it's it's literally like, you know, it's a it's it's bullshit to sum up an argument, you know, really, like it really is. And it's something that I think it needs to be looked at in terms of how can they start rewarding players like don't just pay them their expenses um don't just pay them money they've spent to play reward them for their commitment and whether that would be like if you look at the money ga takes in like there's money to go around um and i know they feed it back through the clubs and that's fantastic but there is certainly there is certainly room for 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 guys who are putting in hours and hours and hours um every single week for the enjoyment of everyone that's there and like, I mean, like John Horn, President GA, he's getting paid. Paul Flynn, the CEO of the GPA, he's getting paid. I mean, they're all on, on a lot nicer salaries than what I was on in terms of big books in Australia. Like, because it's like, you know, it's it's a, it's a different kettle of fish what, what these guys are getting. So, I mean, I, I think I think there's definitely there's definitely room for, for that conversation. But I don't know if there's any ears open to it. Very conclusive, Ray. I'll, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> uh, Ray, you have a lot more years to go, but who would have been your best player you played with and the toughest player you played against? Oh, best player I played with. Um, I remember at a training session, if they count for the international rules up in, um, where was it? Uh, it's up in Dublin somewhere. Um, Connor McManus. Uh, he gave he gave Rory O'Carroll from Dublin a roasting, and I've it was unbelievable. He was kicking points from everywhere, and I I stood back. I was like, this fella is an absolute freak. Like he, in terms of his ball striking and his ability, like Connor McManus is just like on a different level. Um, so I say he's up there now with the best player I've ever played with. Um, played against, I would say, probably James Mac James McCarthy. I'd imagine he'd be he'd be well up there. Um, yeah, I'd imagine I'd, I'd say I'd say James McCarthy. He's he's kind of got everything. He's he's fit and he's strong. He's he's fast. He's skillful and he's a dog as well. Like he'll he'll like if. You can't get away from him, and then if you're close to him, he's he's he, he's kind of physical and, and and imposing. So like he's he's very there's no real way to kind of beat him. Like you know that way he kind of has kind of a, as an answer to everything you, you have. So he's definitely up there. But um now there's been there's been a few now, but I'd say I'd say those two are the ones that stick out most. Um, they're kind of the most obvious ones. And any of the West Mead lads or anywhere to play with, or any any up and coming players we should know about. Um, oh, well the ones you already know about, like. Hess is the obvious one. Um, Hess's ball striking is one of the best I've ever seen of both feet. Um, I think he, he he shows that every single game. Like he doesn't miss freeze. Um, 
you know, he, he helped his club win the, the championship again this year with a clutch last minute free to, I think it, it could have been put into extra time or just to win the game. I'm actually not sure. But um, like that's just true practice, practice, practice. Like he's, 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 he's very, very good off both sides. Um, in terms of young guys coming in, um, there's a few boys that are already there, but like they're still reasonably young in, in county football terms. Like, like the likes of Ron or two, Ron and Wallace. Um, uh, th- like these guys are all, like in my opinion, like they've got huge potential and huge upside. Um, like Ron Wallace is absolutely rapid, quick, like real strong runner. Um, Ronan O'Toole, he'd sidestep you in a phone box like he's a joke. Like off both feet, like he just leaves you back on your arse the whole time. It's it's hard marking and training. So like, there's definitely there's definitely some some young talented guys in in Westmead now at the minute, and and uh, hopefully hopefully the kind of if we can get some good consistent performances and stuff and start to work our way up, we'll see more lads kind of more eager to to come in and, and join us. Perfect. Well, um, thanks a million for your time, um, Rick.